Welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. Matt Prem here. Eric Scopel is digitally across the way. I think that's how I'm going to introduce you now. Digitally across the way. I love that. I think everybody is digitally across the way from somebody. So I think we're all digitally across from each other. Let's just all get in a circle. Let's talk some Oregon football here. Uh, before we get into talking some Oregon football, and there's there has been plenty of news as of late. It seems like there's always something to talk about. Uh, we want to remind you that you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. It's a VIP membership if you're a non-subscriber for as low as $1 for your first 30 days. $1 for your first 30 days. Uh, if you are a subscriber or if in your month-to-month or if you aren't subscribing and you say, hey, I know I want to I want to get back in. I've been a member before. It's time for me to get in. I want to go a year. We're offering a new price. It's $6.26 a month for your first year of an annual subscription. So you could jump in for a buck and go month to month, uh, or you could jump in, and obviously your, your rate will go up after your second month, um, or you could jump in as an annual subscriber for a year and pay as low as $6.26 a month for your subscription and save buku cash uh, by VIP signing up for a VIP membership at DuckTerritory.com. Now, Eric... Football seems to always be be popping these days, and as the kids would say, uh, <laughs> they've had guys enroll into class, uh, arrive on campus. They've had multiple verbal commitments in the month of June. I believe it's now six, with the most recent one coming uh, earlier this week. And now it's a recruiting dead period. So I, I think we should start there with the recruiting dead period, meaning um, kind of explaining what that means and and kind of what all happens now for Oregon football and from a recruiting perspective. And for basically the next month, outside of uh, almost two months actually, um, month and a half or so, uh, outside of a one-week stretch during the end of July, Oregon coaches and everybody else can no longer host guys on, on visits. They can no longer go see them on trips and evals. Uh, and – Basically, no face-to-face communication. Uh, the only communication that they can have now is uh, having guys call, you know, FaceTiming, DMing, texting, emailing, snail mail, whatever kind of form of communication outside of face-to-face that you can have, and that's going to put a slow, a little bit of a slow roll, um, if you will, on I think recruiting because you only can do so much face-to-face uh, over a phone or, or a text or whatnot. I think I still think it's funny that they call it a dead period, and yet you have like 35 different means of uh, communication that are, yeah. that are yeah that are that are still legal at this point. And we we should mention that Oregon is taking advantage of that that brief period where it's uh, an open recruiting period and having their Saturday Night Live event. I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast, but no, that was scheduled. That's scheduled for July 27th. I think that was just kind of confirmed. We'd heard about it for a while, but uh, third straight year they've done this and, and a lot of success in the past. So if you're a big recruiting guy, that's probably the event this summer to kind of keep your eyes on, to be aware of. There's going to be, I'm assuming, a lot of the commitments, which is, I believe, is it 15 or 16 commitments right now, Matt? Oh, that's a good question. I believe it's I 15. Think it's, that's yeah, 14. It's, it's 14? Okay. I was jumping ahead here, apparently. But uh, imagine a lot of those guys will be uh, taking part in that camp. Uh, in the past, it's been open to fans, so an opportunity to check those guys out along with a lot of top targets. But, yeah, it is probably going to slow down a little bit, but Oregon had a, has a ton of momentum now. Uh, on the recruiting track, you mentioned it, I think six commitments in this month, 
Jackson LeDuc, a linebacker from Nevada, the most recent one, and, and a guy that I think Oregon fans should really like. He, he's he's uh, uh, only rated as a three-star, but again, stars don't always matter. But you watch his tape, I think he's extremely explosive. I drew a little comparison to former Oregon star Kiko Alonso, just in terms of how he explodes off the edge. A guy that I think could play a couple of different spots at linebacker and Oregon fans should be really excited about. This has been, again, a big month in terms of just landing a bunch of guys, and Oregon's class continues to just grow, it seems like. Yeah, I'm with you on that stars don't always necessarily matter. The thing I look at first is, and this can go both ways, sometimes you can see a four-star guy from – you know, the Southeast, who a lot of the SEC big boys don't offer, don't don't go after. Uh, and you kind of wonder, well, why is he so highly rated? And yet Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, they're not offering a scholarship. Well, what, what, what are we missing here? Um, look at Jackson LaDuke's scholarship offers, and I think you'll quickly realize that the teams that are going after him are the teams that either compete in their leagues or win their leagues, or are a national player. I mean, we're, we're talking um, a program like Boise State has offered. They are, you know, traditionally known for great defense. They always win the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Fresno State has offered. They are the the, the new big player in the mount in the, mid, the Mountain West. Um, you've got San Diego State, always known for good defense. Tennessee is an SEC school that's offered this guy from out west. USC has offered Utah. They know their defense. And Kyle Whittingham, I think. In my opinion, is the, I think the Utes every year, no matter who they lose, you, I automatically say, hey, the Utes are going to be good at defense. I don't care who they lose because of Kyle Whittingham. The Cougars have offered, and they've always, you know, they've given they've given teams fits. They've given Oregon fits. They've won four games in a row against the Ducks. Uh, you know, so they obviously know what they're doing uh, in terms of who they're targeting and who they're going after. So you look at the, his his scholarship offer list and. Yeah, he's not a four-star or a five-star guy, and you wonder, you know, how much more can he, how much better can he get? Is 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 he, you know, a, a day one instant player, uh, instant impact type of guy? I don't know, but a lot of big name schools from across the country have looked at him and said, yes, we want him on on our team, uh, and, and have offered him a scholarship. And I look at his film, and yeah, you're right. His film review, it has a little bit of Kiko in him and the fact that he's a hard hitter, always finds the bat, the football, and is just a guy always around the ball and making plays. And that's, to me, the biggest thing. He, he's always around the ball, and he's always involved in making the play. And he now gets an opportunity under Ken Wilson and Andy Avalos, guys who, by the way, you mentioned Boise State and Washington State, two schools that had offered. I'm sure there was probably some involvement with both current Oregon Linebackers uh, coaches with that recruitment at other schools as well. But those two have done a tremendous job of developing linebackers. And to me, I look at LaDuke as a guy who could be a little bit like Van Der Esch over at, at Boise State a couple of years ago who gave Oregon a ton of fits and I think was taken the first couple of rounds of this last year's draft or a couple of years draft. Uh, I, I just think there's a ton of talent now developing at linebacker and really a position that was kind of not very strong prior to Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart taking over. You think about those Mark Helfrich years, not to belittle players, but some real down years at linebacker, some real years where you had guys who weren't high caliber NFL kind of players playing. I think you're seeing that shift now. And obviously they've got guys like Troy Dye who, who will be an NFL player. Uh, they, they had Justin Hollins last year and Jalen Jobs is kind of a pseudo linebacker, but I think you're seeing talent now on this roster with these guys uh, providing an opportunity for some really high-end stuff. And I think LeDuc continues that along with Jaden Navarrete, who's committed, uh, and Pat- Peter Latu, who's also 
committed. So I think that position group, which again was kind of maligned for a while, we had them, I think, right middle of the pack in our position rankings we did earlier this month. I think the potential there, and we've talked about doing this, but just a projection of which positions could be the strongest in the future. I think linebacker, based upon the talent they've got, based upon who's coaching them, has a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. We also should note that um, more commitments could be happening uh, this month uh, for, for Oregon. Uh, it's crazy. And I know I just said that you know recruiting is going to slow down a little bit during the end of June and into July because of the dead period. But uh, three-star offensive guard Marcus Harper has made some unofficials and some unofficial visits, one of which was to Oregon earlier this month and had announced a commitment date of uh, June 27th. And so Oregon's kind of the, the front runner there. With the crystal ball, they've got five of the six crystal balls in terms of Oregon. The lone non-duck crystal ball is currently just set to foggy because that person doesn't want to be wrong or doesn't really know where he's going and is, that's, you know, that's the way you're, you're not going to be right, but you're also not going to be wrong, uh, in terms of where he's landing. I've got my crystal ball in for Oregon. I think Kevin Wade has his as well. Alan Triu of, uh, the Midwest region for our 24-7 sports also has, uh, Harper in there for the Ducks. So, it's looking like they could add a seventh verbal commitment in Marcus Harper, um, a guy that, again, you look at the schools that have offered 17 schools, um, and some of the schools out out west necessarily haven't gone in all in on him like Oregon has, but other schools like uh, Nebraska, Michigan State, Louisville, Kansas State, Iowa State, Duke, uh, you've also got Illinois and you got Purdue. All of those teams, Boston College, all of those teams are essentially you know, bowl-eligible caliber play programs. Yeah, I, I think you look at Harper, and, and Oregon continues to need offensive linemen in this class. Obviously, there's a ton of talent offensive line this year, but a lot of it is seniors. And then you look at kind of the next crop, and most of it, with the exception of like a Penne Sewell and Stephen Jones, really just hasn't played much at this level. So an opportunity, I think, with a guy like Harper, along with some of the other guys that they landed in this class, um, already to to build this line. And, again, there's going to be some guys here who could play pretty quickly just because there's a ton of talent right now at Oregon, but not a lot of it's proven. So I think there's going to be some big position battles available going into that 2020 season. A guy like Harper maybe ends up battling for a spot at left or right guard, which are going to be sure. vacated by Shane Lemieux and Dallas Wormack after the season. All right, we'll, we'll go back to some recruiting here in a little bit. Uh, there could be – you know, some movement with one guy currently committed to Oregon, maybe looking elsewhere. Uh, we'll have some scoop on that as well. We'll get to later on in the podcast, but let's, let's get to real quickly, um, the freshman class or the, I guess we should call it the 2020 recruiting class or 2019 recruiting class for Oregon football. They have all arrived now on campus and, and are in Eugene. Um, to our knowledge, everyone is, is set to enroll into school later this, this month, uh, start summer school, you know, for the, for the second session of summer school. Uh, and it's looking like for the first time in a couple of years that everyone gets into school and, and then stays there. Yeah, and that's the positive, and that's the trend you want to continue. And, again, this is a talented group. Cristobal did say at the last time he had a speaking engagement that everybody was expected to be in. There are photographs out there of, of the class, and I don't see anybody missing, and I've got a pretty good eye for faces, so confident that that's the case that everyone is here right now. And, again, that's huge for building towards this upcoming season because this is a class that's going to be relied upon a decent amount. I think I put up a story, I forget if it was last week or the week before, but 
kind of predicting which of these incoming freshmen could play. And I have the majority of them in the either I think they're going to play or they could work themselves in the position to play just because it's a really talented group, the number one rated uh, uh, class in program history for a reason, and a number of position groups that have needs. There are guys coming in to fill those needs. So uh, I, I think, again, if you get everybody in, which it sounds like is the case, that's a huge win, especially when you're signing so many four- and five-star recruits. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see, again, how these guys actually contribute after having the summer to kind of build their bodies up and then to work into August when they start fall camp. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is, I believe we're calling it digitally across the way, uh, Back here, and we're talking Oregon football on this on this podcast this week. Um, everyone, like Eric and I just discussed, is here. Pieces are, are in place now to kind of fill some of these holes from a scholarship standpoint um, or some questions of depth, you know, what, what have you. Uh, but that's all potential. And we decided today we're going to look at kind of the offense and kind of look at what are the big concerns or the question marks or what are the things just that we want to see answered here in fall camp or early part of the season. And Eric, I'll start things off. I, th- I think it's safe to say, and I think you would agree with me. Um, I would hope you would agree with me that uh, Oregon's quarterbacks and Oregon's running backs are essentially safe. I mean, there's, there's some concerns, but there's much more overlaying concerns in other parts of the offense. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I think offensive line is another position group that, that feels similar to those two. I, I, so I think for me, the, my first area is obviously at receiver. And it's not just who's going to step up and who's going to play. I mean, they, they need game breakers and they need playmakers. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's just the first layer of it. Um, I, I think guys will emerge. Guys will, will fill in. But, my concern is you go a little bit deeper than just saying who's going to step up and be the go-to receiver. How are the newcomers going to adjust? How much of an adjustment period is there going to be with a Josh Delgado, a Jawan Williams, a Micah Pittman, a Lance Wilhoit, uh, or, um, or J.R. Waters? Now, how quickly are those guys going to get acclimated at the receiver position, learn the playbook? Is there going to be – an acclimation period where you've got to kind of slowly bring them along. Are they all going to be able to pick things up and be part of that process? Or are, 
are only a, a couple of those guys going to be able to to be able to you know handle the rigors of Division One football right away their first year in the program for Jerome Williams you hope that he has no choice because it's his only year at Oregon um, and then to dig it another step further how quickly and how much of an adjustment will there be from a physical standpoint from a steed standpoint because for the most part none of these guys outside of Jerome Williams have played at the physical level of, of high-level college football and at the speed that the DBs that they'll be facing will have, the physicality that they will have, the football IQ that they will have. There's going to be some kind of adjust, an adjustment. So not only am I am I looking at the receivers group and thinking, who's going to be those guys to step up and help provide depth to a position that doesn't have a lot of guys, and could one of those guys become the go-to receiver? But how long is it going to take for these guys to get acclimated and Oregon's offense be able to operate at full clip. Well, and that should be a huge concern considering what game number one is. And, and that's a game that yes. sets the tone for the season against Auburn because I don't disagree with, with anything you just said. Uh, Oregon lost their yes. top receiver last year. Was that a, was that a yes that, you, that I agreed with you or is that some yes. other yes? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you just look at that Auburn game and you go, if there aren't proven players to help Justin Herbert in the passing game, uh, you, you, you know, let's think back just a, a while ago to the last time Oregon faced a, a top-tier SEC program in its opener against LSU where they were relying a lot on DeAnthony Thomas to do things, and he had a tough game. What, who's to say? And he ended up being an obviously a transcendently good player at Oregon, but he had a rough debut. Who's, what's, who's to say that that doesn't happen with some of these other guys? So I agree. That has to be a huge concern. Uh, it's a situation where they are going to be expected, or this receiving group is going to be expected to be good and, and capable Basically from the get-go, and that's going to be a huge priority for for this offense under Marcus Arroyo and then Javon uh, Javon Bonite to, to get that all figured out because that's it all starts week one. Literally, there's no ability to kind of progress into it. It is live action. You better be ready week one. Uh, I'll start with 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 my first concern, and it's not a concern like this, but it's a concern of is Justin Herbert able to live up to expectations in his final year as a starting quarterback at Oregon? Obviously we know he's a capable college quarterback. No one is arguing that, but he's still a guy who's yet to receive really any all conference recognition. He's still a guy whose best season might've been his, the first part of his sophomore season uh, before injury. Uh, so I, I just look at him and I go, obviously we know he's talented. We know he's got a chance to probably be the best quarterback, even in the country. Maybe that, that maybe that's not even a crazy thing to say, but does he take a big enough step forward to get there? Or is this a situation where you look back and go, man, kid had all the tools in the world, obviously had all the physical skills, but just could not fully put it together during a four-year career at Oregon. So I, I, that would be my concern. Again, it's different in that it's not a concern of what the baseline is. We know Justin Herbert is a capable D1 starting quarterback who has a lot of experience. It's just can he get to that next level? Yeah, and that that's great points because we've been waiting for I guess maybe that that, that breakout moment mm-hmm. where Herbert just completely dominates. I mean, he had it against Stanford, but they didn't win the game. Sure. Um, he played, I think, relatively well against Washington, but I don't know if my memory maybe my memory serves me wrong here, but I don't necessarily associate that game where. Oh, he was unreal, and he just straight up, you know, destroyed the UW defense. I don't, I don't look at the that way uh, like I do for for Stan, the Stanford game. Yeah, and I would say both of those games were almost as much Dylan Mitchell coming out parties as they were Justin right. Herbert coming out parties, and those don't have to be mutually exclusive. But Mitchell was really, really good in both those games. 
my other concern deals with the offensive line, and that might sound crazy because Ooh. of the guys that are coming back um, and, the, and the talent that they have at that front group. But hear me out here. This is where I, I get concerned. Injuries are going to happen, and God forbid no one wants anyone to get hurt. But the reality is the offensive line is the position that's basically the, the O-line and the D-line are the two positions that have probably the most injuries of all the groups because that's where all the heavy hitting happens every single play. And someone is going to have some kind of an injury. It's very rare for an offensive line or a defensive line to go an entire season, play at a high level, and yet no one gets hurt. And so we, I go back to last year. I saw Dallas Warmack consistent, you know, second half of the year battle a lot of injuries. Um, we saw Penny Sewell go out for the last half of the year against Washington. We saw Jake Hansen, while he didn't get hurt, got suspended for a half, and how much different that looked uh, for Oregon's offensive line without Hansen at center. And so my question becomes, how good are the guys behind those players going to be this season? Because when Oregon was healthy up front, they were incredibly good on offense. And their offense clicked at a very, very high efficiency rate. They were, they, they were very balanced run and pass. Um, I felt like their offense was kind of, you know, what we traditionally think of with Oregon in terms of balance and being able to score from, from, from running the ball or, or throwing the football. Uh, and then once the injuries started piling up, I think that's where Oregon's offense really took a nosedive and, being efficient and being uh, operating at a level that they were. And so I, my concern is knowing injuries happen and there's going to be a chance where it happens along the offensive line. How good are Oregon's backups along the offensive line going to be? And then on top of that, thinking maybe a little bit big picture here, you lose six guys that are seniors along the offensive line after this season. That means, you know, over half of you are too deep. Boom, gone after one season. That the, the younger guys are going to have to be able to step up and be ready and get valuable playing time because next year they're going to be even lean, leaned on even more. And here's a continuation on that point that almost sort of circles back to the point I made earlier about Herbert of we know this offensive line group has a lot of guys that are being talked about as NFL players, but at the same time last year there were games where the run game really had a hard time getting going. Right. And I think – the offensive line shares some blame for that, and there was games where Herbert was getting attacked quite a bit, and the offensive line shares some of that blame as well. So it's not like it's a group, and we're talking about it, and I think rightfully so because of the experience and the clear talent that they have, like it's one of the best groups in the country. But, again, I think this is another show-me kind of thing, and that Auburn game we've already talked about with receiver, it's going to be a big opportunity for this Oregon offensive line to kind of prove that all of this discussion about them being one of the best in the country is warranted because Auburn's defensive line is kind of being talked about similarly to Oregon's offensive line and that it's one of the best in the country. So, uh, again, I agree. I think the offensive line, we, we try to make it like it has no holes. I think ultimately it will be the best group on the offense and on the team. We, we, we did that ranking a couple weeks ago, um, and I think it could be by a large margin. But I don't think what you're saying doesn't make sense because I do think there continues to be some concerns. And I will finish up our concerns here with – Something that's not fully a concern, but more of a, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. And that's okay. at tight end with Cam McCormick and Jacob Reland. I'm very curious to see 
what that looks like. It could maybe this isn't even a concern as much as it's such a strength that it's just unclear exactly what the hierarchy is going to look like. But I look at McCormick, a guy who probably would have started the majority of last season if not for injuries. And I look at Breland, a guy who's dealt with injuries of his own. And I go, is it going to be a reliable option at that position? Or are they going to even have two or three reliable options? It could be a concern that turns into a, the greatest strength of this offense. But I still think there's a little bit of unclarity uh, at that group about exactly how it's going to work out. I think they've got some veteran experienced guys. We haven't even mentioned Ryan Bay, Hunter Campmore. But there's also a little bit of, okay, McCormick didn't play at all last season, and Breland basically missed all of spring with injury. How good are these guys capable of being? I think they could be really good. I also could see a situation where injuries, both guys have history of it, hurts this team again. Yeah, that the tight end group, I, I think that, that gets overlooked a lot because we just automatically assume they're going to be good, right? Yeah, I have. I think that's probably a mistake I've made, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if – I mean, maybe it's not fair to say that – we're concerned about that group, but yeah, maybe concerns not the right word there. But there, I think there's just it's not maybe a given that they're going to be what everyone assumes that they are. Because you're right, McCormick's coming off a, a, a an injury that took him out for the year, and this is a guy that's dealt with another injury uh, yep. that that that's very similar that knocked him out of a year earlier in his career. Um, Breland, I think, had maybe a little bit of a down season last year for whatever reason. Uh, he just wasn't what we had seen uh, as a sophomore and as a freshman at Oregon. Um, and and then b- behind those two guys, I mean, I was extremely high on Spencer Webb. I thought he was going to be a day one instant impact guy. He didn't he didn't play beyond four games for Oregon last year. Uh, Hunter Cantmore, w- what can he provide for Oregon? Matt Mariota uh, is is he a guy that can make an impact? Um, how quickly can Patrick Herbert get adjusted? So, yeah, I, I think the tight end position, you bring up a good point, is, is there's more uncertainty there than I think people maybe are, are, are realizing or or avoiding to, to look at. Yeah, and ultimately my, my expectation is that's going to be a really strong group and that you could see oh, I agree. Uh, where, where Breland and McCormick end up being guys that play together a lot in two tight end sets and have a lot of success. But I do think it should be mentioned that it is a group that does have more question marks, like I was getting at, than probably has been discussed. But, again, my inkling, I think this is going to be a strength of the offense, not the strength, but a strength. I would agree. I would agree with you there. And let's, let's end this podcast real quick, Eric, with some news about an Oregon commit that could potentially be be flipping. Um, it's been one that we've basically been watching for six months now, Uh 2020. Four-star safety, Avante Williams, a top 50 recruit out of D, uh, D-Lynn, Florida. He committed kind of out of the blue late in the, in, in the 2019 cycle. Um, very random commitment and, but he's, he's been solid ever since. Uh, yet he, he continues to take visits to other schools. And this week he, he spoke with, uh, one of our writers, uh, Luke Stampini, who's based out of the Florida area. Uh, and Williams told him that he's solid. Uh, he likes the Ducks. He can relate to, to Dante Williams, Oregon's position coach, uh, really well, and, and that his relationship with him is really, really strong. But he did – I can relate to him, and he can relate to me. He's very important. Um, Oregon staff is – Williams has set a huge precedent on Williams, uh, and Dante Williams, Oregon's cornerback coach, has kind of spearheaded the recruitment here. And 
every time he talks, Devontae Williams does, he mentions Dante Williams. And so my thinking here is, is Oregon's got to be able to, to push that relationship and keep that relationship strong because if, if he's going to visit other schools, he's come out and said that he's, he's going to Florida. Uh, it's close to home. He doesn't really, you know, even though he doesn't really care much about distance, he likes that it's, it's close to home. And then he also says that he's going to, he's going to use all five of his official visits. So Oregon's going to have to work the, the Dante Williams angle here extremely hard and push the ducks over Florida, Georgia, Miami, uh, and a couple other schools in the South that are, that are recruiting him in hopes that they can keep him. We should mention Avante Williams is the highest rated recruit in this class right now. He's the headliner of the class. He's the only top 50 guy and only one of two top 100 recruits, Jay Butterfield being the other. You knew there was going to be challenges in terms of keeping a guy like this just because he's so highly rated, regardless of where he was located. But this is a kid from Florida that's going to have a ton of SEC attention. I think this is one that's going to be really hard to hold on to. I think, obviously, that Dante Williams connection keeps him locked in right now. But I I just think you go, boy, sometimes it's really hard to keep top 50 recruits committed to you, even if they're, you know, in Southern California, in Oregon's case. But a kid across the country dealing with SEC recruiting, that's going to be a real tough, tough challenge. And honestly, if they are able to earn his signature in December, I think that's going to be one of the bigger victories Oregon has had under the Mario Cristobal era. I don't think it's quite Kayvon Thibodeau or some of these other guys maybe, but it's got to be up there just in terms of you're holding a kid from the heart of the SEC who has interest from everybody around him, and you're able to keep him going to Eugene, which is literally almost as far across the country as you can get. That would be a humongous victory for Dante Williams and the rest of this recruiting staff if they are able to secure that that, that signature in December, which we're still a long ways away from. Yeah, he, he might be the guy that's the most impressive commit Oregon could get in this class. And that's not to say that it, you know, he's the most talented because I think there's, they're going to sign guys more talented than he is and higher ranked, but more so of, like you just mentioned, going into an SEC region where everyone there wants him. And for eight, 10, 12 months, every school in that area tried like heck to get him to flip. And if, if he does sign with Oregon, obviously that means he, he didn't. That could be one of the bigger recruiting wins in a long time for Oregon football. Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't know what you'd have to go back to in terms of, again, Kevon Thibodeau, clearly the higher-rated recruit, but landing a kid from that region with all of the stress right now, especially with the dynamic going on in terms of, like, the SEC and the Pac-12 are not seen on even footing nationally at all. And you see that, and we've talked about this, I think you spoke with Greg Biggins on a podcast worth listening to, just about the fact that West Coast kids are going east. It would be unusual for a kid of this caliber to go east to west right now with the way everything is going. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, for Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Prim, we will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. See you, fellas.